Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of our favorite ordinary winter things are flannel sheets, candles in the kitchen, and coming in out of the cold. And a few of mine are ice skating on the neighborhood pond, long walks after a snowfall, and warming back up again with a homemade tea latte. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Well, Lisa Joe, we just hit record on our conversation, but I'm nervous because it's very noisy here in my little recording space. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you can hear it or if our listeners can hear it. There is ice hitting the window so hard right now. Can you hear that? I can't hear it, but it's a different kind of noise than I thought you were going to say. Like I thought it was going to be kid related somehow, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is the standard, but it's ice related. It is because the kid, my kids at least don't get snow days anymore. So they better be downstairs on their little devices doing their, their classroom <laughs> Zooms. <laughs> I know it's beautiful here too. I'm looking out the window and it's just gorgeous. Peter actually said yesterday, I forget how beautiful this property is when it's covered in snow. We have uh, these big old pine trees, especially on the front of our property. So when you drive through, they have these boughs that are just heavy and weighted mm. down by snow now. So when you drive under them, it really feels magical, like you're arriving into Wonderland or something. Oh, I love that too. And I love that even though you and I, um, because of this pandemic, we're not recording in the same room, the same place as we used to do. We'd always record here at Maplehurst in this little third floor office. But even though we're not together, this same big storm, you know, has moved through both of our homes yesterday and this morning. And so we're connected. Our weather is a more or less the same. And we're looking out at the, the very similar snowy landscape today. And I so know. we're connected in that way. John had sent a message out on one of our work threads that we have been on a project together. And he said that you guys were expecting eight to 10 inches this weekend. And I immediately got excited and told my kids, oh my gosh, the Purifoys are getting so much snow. We must be getting some too. <laughs> so I kind of hear like my weather station. So then I was prompted to quickly look it up. But my children already knew. They were like, yes, yes, we're supposed to get like four to six inches. So we always know we get a little bit less than you guys, but the fact that you were getting so much made me very hopeful on Friday. That you would get some. So our weather is the same, and that sense our experience is the same. And we often tell stories here on the podcast where our experiences are really matching up, like we're walking through something similar in similar ways, or we're sort of noticing um, God's presence in our lives in similar ways. But when we sat down to record this conversation, you started to share a story with me that you are um, going to finish telling and share with our listeners today. And I just had to tell you the honest truth, Lisa Joe, when I said, yeah, that that's not my experience right now. <laughs> you were like, that does not resonate with me. <laughs> that does not resonate. <laughs> I am very happy for you, but that is not what I'm living. <laughs> and I think it's such a great moment that you said that because, of course, for our listeners, not every story we share will be something that resonates with where you are right now. As we know from the comments and emails we've had from people <laughs> yeah. who've asked often, like, why are you two still not together? <laughs> like, what's happening over there? Or... Your lived experience is not necessarily the same as ours. And, you know, even within a, with a family unit, 
it can be the same, right? Like this morning, mm-hmm. I have one kid who's ecstatic to tell me he's been drinking protein shakes the last three days. He had this huge breakfast. He's ready to start his day. And then I have another kid whose tummy hurt all last night and yeah. she's buried under her blankets. So like, <laughs> the lived experience in a family is going to be different too. But one of the things I really love about you not just as a podcast co-host, but as a friend, and especially as a fellow writer, is how much authenticity and truth really matter. And in order to really navigate our stories, we have to be willing to be truthful about them. So it doesn't really work if I have a story and then Christy tries to find one to, you know, sort of shove that square peg into the round hole. Right. Christy's a four and she's never going to do that. So nope. (laughs) And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want, I mean, that's not my expectation of you. I wouldn't think that you would either, especially since you're a professional writer and storyteller. But truth is something I hadn't realized, even in memoir, isn't always approached as sort of the baseline. It's been interesting. I've been reading this amazing book called The Art of Memoir by Mary Carr, and her entire first chapter is about telling the truth. And I said to you, wait, do some people not tell the truth in their memoirs? (laughs) I don't understand. But what was so great is she talks about not just how truth is important for the reader, right? For the veracity, like truth in advertising, that this is a Mm -hmm. memoir, so you're going to get truth. But more importantly, truth matters to the writer if you want to have an experience of revelation. She says, But unless you're looking at actual lived experiences, the more profound meanings will remain forever shrouded. And so she's talking about this idea, like if you don't tell the truth in your story, you're not actually going to dig out the meaning that all of us are trying to make of our lives. So she says here about a memoirist who's faking it, she says, he's missing the personal liberation that comes from the examined life. And I just love that reminder, like truth doesn't just matter to us as believers because Christ says it matters. It matters because in order to make meaning of our story, we have to be willing to really dig for what the actual truth is. And as we know, truth can be subjective. It can depend on how I feel this morning or what I ate for breakfast or whether I'm in a good mood or not. And so as storytellers here on the podcast, we're always pushing deeper into, but wait, is that what really happened? <laughs> like, does that relate to what Christy experienced or is that just Lisa Joe's experience? And so as listeners, we hope you'll be curious in the same way with us and saying, okay, I heard what they said. Is that my story right now <laughs> or yeah. not? And, and use our stories as a jumping off point to really dig into something deeper because I think that has been what's happened for the two of us as we prepared for today's conversation. Initially, I would have had a story to share that's a meaningful story. But there's a whole other layer of meaning that we were able to uncover by Christy pushing back initially and saying that that isn't my experience. Like, that isn't true for me right now at all. And mm-hmm. if you hadn't done that, I think we would have told nice stories, but I don't know if we would have had an examination of our lives in the way that right. we always hope to have. Right. So I am now, I think, eager to hear your full story, Lisa Joe. But I recognize in this moment, I will have to be brave <laughs> to uh, confront the honest truth uh, of what my experience is, even if it's different from yours or feels more sad than yours or feels less hopeful or something, if that's what comes up in me. And I'm not sure yet because I haven't heard the whole story, um, but I hope that I can respond uh, with that kind of courageous reflection and self-examination. So 
ready to tell your story? (laughs) I am ready. I feel prepared to listen now. Here (laughs) I go. Beautiful. (laughs) What a great uh, demonstration of what good listening is like. Well, for us, like for many of us, and I think we actually do have this in common, this has been a season of lack in many ways. And I think sometimes when we're experiencing lack, we tend to always see other people's abundance as an amplification of our lack. I think that can happen. And so for me, in the last year, there's been a lot of places of lack in our life. And as a family of believers, there's often this inclination when people are experiencing lack to tell them, I'll pray for you, which is wonderful. And I've always laughed because missionaries tend to put at the end of their letter that they're trying, you know, when they're trying to raise support, they'll, before they ask you for money, they always ask you for prayer and they say, that's really important, which it is. But of course, what they really need is money. (laughs) Like they need, they (laughs) Mm -hmm. are praying God will move you to provide for them. And so that part of a letter always makes me chuckle because I want to say, listen, just be honest and be like, if you are praying for me, I am believing God will tell you (laughs) to put money (laughs) in my bank account. (laughs) Because we come from a culture where it's really easy. It costs us nothing these days to tell somebody, I'll pray for you. I don't know. I'm going to side note, Christy, I have often been guilty of saying, oh, I'll pray, or someone will text me something hard's happening, and I'll be like, I'm praying for you. And I have been convicted in the last few years, if I'm going to tell somebody, I will pray for you, what I then force myself to do is actually type a prayer to them as a response, not Mm. just to say, I'll pray for you, but to say, I'm stopping right now and I'm praying this, even if it's just one or two sentences, because it feels more honest than to simply say, I'm praying for you, which is just a very Christian way of saying, oh, please don't interrupt my day with your hardship. (laughs) (laughs) Or to give credit, maybe it's a, it's a Christian way of saying, I do care. I care. I care, right. But I'm not going to do anything. But I, or I don't feel like I know what to do for you. I don't you. know what to do. Like, so this is what I don't I've know got. what to do for yeah. you. Yeah. So I tell you that I'm going to pray. Whether you actually pray or not, okay, let's give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe people do pray. Mm-hmm. But to the listener, to the person who's in pain right now, they are not actually receiving something tangible back. Simply telling them I'm going to pray for you is not the same as actually praying for them, yeah. right? Like texting them a prayer or a Bible verse or calling them on the phone and saying, oh my gosh, tell me more. I'd like to mm-hmm. hear more. Or actually getting down on your knees and, and praying. praying for them. <laughs> yes. And so I think there's a difference. And I, you and I are always trying to push into the deeper version of the story here. And so I want us to always challenge ourselves to think, what does it mean when I tell somebody I'll pray for them? Because in Christ's example, it's so interesting, before he prayed for people, he fed them or he healed them. He really met a tangible need in a very practical way. He actually came to be with them. He lived alongside them. He was present in whatever they were experiencing. So what does that look like? for us. And so this year for us, there have been a lot of areas where I have felt like, oh my goodness, there's this big black hole and I don't know what to do about it. And we've had a lot of really amazing people pray. But, and here's the heart of the story, I experienced church this year for the first time truly on the receiving end of both prayer, but then church showing up in what I would describe an embodied way. So prayer feels to me disembodied. It's words, it's spirit. It doesn't mean it's less powerful. Of course, we know that's not true. But I think what makes prayer powerful is when it becomes embodied because people pray words and then they follow them up with actions. They are the body. 
And this year, our church has done that over and over again, almost embarrassingly so, in my opinion. Okay, that is how big our lack has been and how generous their meeting the need has been. And there have been multiple ways they've done this. But the one I wanted to talk about today is the very practical way of showing up with offering me a literal, tangible, physical space to do work in. So our church knows that I've been working on a book They also know that my husband is out of work and that our kids are all home doing online school like everybody else and that we're in this small space. And we had hoped for a long time to redo the small shed that we have on our property, but really haven't had the resources to do that either and are making do. And with all the restaurants closed, it's not even like I can go and work at Panera for four or five hours. There's nowhere to go. I'm just in this house. And in our house, the spaces are all common space. So there's really nowhere, unless I'm sitting in my bedroom on my bed, I don't have a desk in my room, there's nowhere to go. And I I recognize that this is in many ways what they'd call a first world problem, right? Like I'm aware of my privilege that I have this home and it's beautiful and warm and my family are healthy. So I recognize all of that. At the same time, I don't think it invalidates the fact that as the sole breadwinner at the moment, Having a quiet space to work and create in became so vital that I felt like I was going to have a mental breakdown because I couldn't ever work for long stretches of time without being interrupted. And so our church said, hey, why don't you just come work at church? It's quiet. Nobody's here because of COVID. Um, This was really in the height of the pandemic. The staff are only coming in once or twice a week. We have all this open space. And so I arrived at the church. And there was this small little conference room, and they said I could sit in it, and it was so quiet and so peaceful. And I sat down, and it's it's kind of a larger room. It's not an office, right? So it's like a meeting room, a conference room. And I sat down, and as I sat down there, our youth pastor came in, and he saw me, and he said, hey, I heard you were going to be working at church. And I tell you what, why don't you, instead of being in this conference room, this open space, why don't you come into this office over here? Um, It's not being used at the moment, and I'm sure it'd be fine if you used it. And he walked me into the office, turned the light on. I sat down at the desk and I started to cry because (laughs) I didn't realize like how anxious I had been about creating quiet to work in, but also how seen I felt that he was like, you don't have to sit out here like a guest. You're like family. Come in, sit down. Here's a desk for you. Oh, that's beautiful. And that was back in the fall. And I have continued to work in that office every day, and my friend Nan, it's the office that she works in, and when she heard that I needed a place and that I was so grateful, and she let me know that actually it had worked out well for her because she's working from home at the moment, and her husband is working from home, and their kids are grown and out of the house, and so it's actually been lovely for them to have the companionship of both being at home, and they both have office spaces in their house. And she has just felt like the Lord has provided for her and so that he could offer me the space to work in. So I started working every day at the church and I would text Nan to let her know, you know, is it okay? I'm going to be there again today. And until she finally just said, work there, you know, use (laughs) the office as your own. And then one day when I was working, Doreen, who's the church manager, came and knocked on the door where I was working and Immediately, right, I had that like kid at a principal's office, like, oh no, have I done something wrong in the church? Like, how did I not close a door or not lock something properly? And she stopped by and just said, hey, Lisa Joe, 
wondering how the book's going. And I shared with her. And then she said, I wondered if you'd like a key for the church. I've noticed you get here early and I don't want you to ever feel like you can't get in. And then she gave me a key. And Mm. I, as I signed my name to get my church key, I just felt such warmth inside of me. I just felt like a member of I, you know, when I think about Jesus and his disciples, I felt like, you know, someone who'd been on the outside of the crowd following him, who then got invited in and then was like with the 12 at dinner one night, Aww. you know, that <laughs> feeling of, of such welcome, such practical ways of showing up. And so when I'd be writing our pastor, Pastor Tim Brooks would stop by my little office sometimes and knock and say, what's the word count? How's it going? <laughs> and And check in and encourage me on the days I felt full of despair and My friend Lynn, who works there as the children's pastor, she would knock on the little window of my office and come in and ask how it's going and encourage me and share scripture. And and my friend Lorene would share cupcakes some days. And there was this sense of being embodied in a way that it reminds us we aren't supposed to be alone. And that's been one of the hard parts about COVID for all of us, the sense of isolation. And we can be in our houses surrounded by our families and feel alone because there's something we've been called to do and we're struggling to accomplish it for whatever the reason might be, whether it's unemployment or lack of quiet or physical sickness, there's an aloneness that sneaks in. And I would be sitting in that office and the church was quiet a lot of the time because of COVID. But right next door to me, I shared a wall with our worship pastor, Pastor Austin. And my sweetest moments would be when I was trying desperately to figure out a problem or a passage or a thing I was writing or a deadline, and I would hear him on the piano start to worship. (laughs) Christy, I cannot even describe to you. It was like, there's actually a verse in scripture, in Jeremiah, that talks about how Christ sings over us while we are sleeping. And I would be trying to work, and it was like Christ was singing mm. <laughs> over me in this very <laughs> literal way, as Austin would be singing and playing and trying out new tunes. And then Heather, who works on the art musical arts team with him, she would be in there, and the two of them would be going back and forth and talking about sets or decoration or you know, worship and the worship community and the church. And it was this reminder that we aren't alone. We really aren't. Like Christ is with us in real ways. And I realized that was the challenge to me, I think, to take away from this experience that when people are in need, and I have a way to meet that need, a practical way Mm -hmm. to do it, you know, to just do it because. It's one thing to say to somebody, Jesus loves you. It is a completely different thing to love them the way Jesus does. Because then someone like me, who's been a believer for, what, 37 years of my life, experiences Christ in a completely different way and remembers, oh, even though there are these places in my life where it feels scary and the lack is so big that it can feel so overwhelming— When you have a visceral experience like that of Christ, it's impossible. It is impossible to deny the fact that he is there. Like he will provide for you. He is providing for you. So yeah, Crossroads Church of the Nazarene, shout out in (laughs) Ellicott City, (laughs) have just been Jesus to me in the most basic ways. And I mean that as the highest compliment. I think the basic ways of meeting people's needs 
We are too quick to discount, but those are the ways that taste like loaves and fishes, right? Where there's leftovers, where it meets your need in such a primal way. So for me, man, showing up at that church has felt like holy ground and family so that when I'm there on Sundays or our kids are at youth group, I feel connected in a completely different way. I feel like this is a church that is has its arms around us and really cares about what happens to us beyond, you know, did I give money in the offering or am I volunteering? They care about me as a person. And and then beyond that, they care about me as a writer and me as a mother. So yeah, it's a it's a, a sense of being known at a level that is our spiritual need colliding with our physical need mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in oh, a way yeah. that I, I really haven't ever experienced in all my years of being a believer. Hmm. I, I was imagining as you were sharing, uh, especially how your story intersected with your church friend Nan's story and almost picturing it like two puzzle pieces. So this Christmas and winter, we've been doing a lot of jigsaw puzzles in the house. I think that we we have often done it at Christmas, but this year, this pandemic year, we have even fewer reasons to ever leave the house. <laughs> so, so Christmas ended and we packed away our usual Christmas puzzles, but my husband Jonathan has been um, ordering online more puzzles. <laughs> so we're now just doing puzzles all the time. So I, it is no surprise that I pictured two puzzle pieces. And it's all, and you know what a jigsaw puzzle looks like. Like one piece will have like a little part that sticks out and it fits into the absence in the other piece, right? Yeah. So your your piece fit together with Nan's in that sense that you needed to leave home in order to work. But what she really needed was the blessing and the gift of being at home to have, you know, to be a companion right. to, to her husband in work. And uh, I think we often, sometimes we get a glimpse of how our pieces fit together like that or how our stories fit together like that, but we don't always. So that's really beautiful to see um, how God cares for you, but also how He was caring for her and how those, like He cared for you both in ways that fit together so neatly. I love that. So it's true, Lisa Jo, as you started to share this experience with me, and I, I love hearing the whole story now, but as you started to share it with me, um, my first response was just the honest truth, which is, wow, yeah, I'm not feeling that right now. Yeah. <laughs> like many people in this pandemic, um, mostly what I feel is very isolated, cut off, and not and and with almost no bodily, physical connection with anyone really outside of my immediate family. So, you know, we're not attending church in person. We watch services via Zoom. We're keeping in touch with church family just in electronic ways, emails, texts, and so on. So there is still that connection, but it isn't embodied. And if anything, your story made me feel more deeply the sadness of that and the la- and the real lack there that is painful and it's no one's fault it's just it's the reality of of you know these really difficult times we're living in um and it's exacerbated by certain things that are unique to my story we live you know out in these far out suburbs and so we're we um are a long way a long driving distance from many of the people we know at our church you know we're not near neighbors and so that adds an extra uh, layer of isolation and distance. And it means not only that it's harder for people to be there for us in embodied ways, and it's harder for us to be there for them. And I feel that as well, knowing at times there um, are people I'm thinking of or remembering who I only see on Facebook now and wishing I could show up at their house and be there for them in more embodied ways. 
But here's where my story, I think, is is more of the puzzle piece to yours. So I could stop right here and just focus on what you've experienced and just feel really bad for myself. Oh, woe is me. I do not have that right now. I wish I could be Lisa Joe sitting in my church building, seeing my church family walk by. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to reflect and examine. And when I do that, here's the story I want to tell. And I think I've hinted it um, on the podcast before, but I don't think I've really sort of shared the whole thing, and certainly not in this context. But in December of last year, so just before the pandemic, before thing, that Christmas before things um, closed down in March, uh, we shuffled all the bedrooms in our house. And what we did is we gave our children more space in our house. And that was something we had lived here eight years and had never done that. We live in an old farmhouse with a lot of bedrooms, but we had always saved uh, several of the bedrooms for guests. And that was so important to me and really to all of us. And so I never, I, I assumed we would always live that way, that all six of us in my immediate family would always be slightly crammed together right on the second floor landing with all our little bedroom doors right there and some of us sharing and bunk beds and trundle beds and all the rest of it. That's how we lived and that's how I thought we always would. But that December, honestly, I can't even say like, why, how, did, how did these things start? I don't know, but I, I think I finally just confronted how quickly my children were growing, especially how big my boys were, and just really how difficult it was becoming for them to share space and to share the bathroom and to to be just kind of right on top of each other. It's one thing when they're physically smaller, but now they're just physically bigger and take up more room, right? Right. <laughs> so that December, we did this whole shuffle. And I remember at the time feeling very unsure about it. Um, because it meant giving up, and we have mentioned this on the podcast, it meant giving up that special guest room where you always stay when you come, the yeah. little third floor yeah. bedroom with the slanted ceiling. And um, that became my um, teenager's room. So we shuffled the bedrooms. And afterwards, I remember thinking of the the scripture about, you know, um, the, that phrase, a spacious place. And I've often used it to describe this home. And have often felt that when God brought us here, He brought us to a spacious place. And it had always been my dream to share that with others, to invite others into that. And so I realized when we reshuffled the bedrooms that that phrase, a spacious place, I had never received that for myself. I had, in my brain, only received that for other people. Oh, here's the spacious place that others will get to come and feel the spaciousness and feel the welcome and feel that they, you know, a sense of peace and that they're at home. And I thought I had received that for myself, but I realized that I hadn't. And when my children moved into their own spaces and we literally took up more space in our own home, I was shocked at at this peace that sort of fell on me and this sense of like, I'm breathing more deeply in my own house. And that phrase, a spacious place came to me and I realized, oh, I am stepping into a spacious place. I am receiving this. And I remember thinking, is that okay? Is it okay? Am I... Am I being selfish? Am I being greedy to want to take up more space in my own home? And realizing, no, I really feel like this is what God is is giving me and giving our family right now is a more spacious place and letting us um, kind of settle into our home in a deeper way. 
well, of course, Lisa Joe, I couldn't have known then that all that work we did to paint and and move people and get some new appropriate furniture and all the rest of it, all the effort that went into that rearranging came right before the pandemic, everything shutting down. And now we're at home all together, all the time. <laughs> and our home is not only our home where we sleep, but it is also where we work and where we do school. Um, and that's what unfolded then in March. And over these 10 months, um, even as I have felt the lack of of being able to leave the house, of being able to travel, or of being able to go to restaurants or coffee shops, and I feel that, or being able, most of all, to go to church, to see face-to-face, um, and not just via Zoom, you know, um, church family. The flip side of that is that we our needs have been met abundantly here in our house, where we have the space we need, um, that even now I can slip away to a, cl- a quiet room here on the third floor and record this podcast with you. Um, right now, my children are doing school, and um, you know we have the internet capability right now for all of us to be you know online doing our work and doing our school. Um, everyone has their own space to do their schoolwork. My husband has space to do his work. It it has been a spacious place for us. So even though at times I feel the pinch of always being at home, of not seeing other people, of feeling isolated and cut off in certain ways, I can look at my experience and see how God has been with us, how He has provided, how He has opened up almost like a deeper spaciousness here in this home for the season when we desperately, desperately needed it. And when we wouldn't be having guests, right, on a practical right. note, like you right. you have not come to stay right. in that room. So how wonderful that it was prepared already, that it would be my daughter's room all these months when she has, you know, clearly, clearly needed it. And so, I feel like that's my puzzle piece that I fit to yours. My experience right now isn't yours, but when I when I reflect, when I do that self-examination, I can see how God has been with us in incredible, incredible ways. And so then I'm left with just gratitude, as well as that honest recognition that, yes, some things right now are really hard. They're not what I would want them to be. And I think that's everybody's story. It's easy to look at our friends' stories and only see their abundance. So I can look at Maplehurst and you know, the black barn and think, look yeah. at all the space they have and how yeah. wonderful that everybody can have and their own breathing space and writing space and online space. And we're so cramped and these children are like in my <laughs> space. I'm like right now hiding in our back bedroom because I'm not right. at church today. But that is, that's the enemy's version of the story. He He wants you to see the limited version but God, we really, if we take him at his word, he is a God of abundance. And so he is everywhere we see lack. I I guess my challenge to our listeners today is where can you look, though, for the deeper plot where God is actually writing abundance into your story? Because when I look at mine these days, as much as the home feels really hard, finances feel really tight, I see these other places of of insane abundance, of incredible generosity. And so Christy sees the same in her home. And and that is because God loves us. Like that is because God says that He will provide for us. He will, and He does. And we have to be willing to take Him at His word, but it means we have to have eyes to see. And I've been reading recently um, the, the Passion Translation of Scripture, which, you know, isn't 
a, a literal word for word in the same way as some of the others, but it captures the nuance. Like I feel like it captures the heart of the writer in a way that has been so fresh for me. And this is from Psalm 139, which is really often overquoted, you know, the one about I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you before you were born, etc. But there are some lines there that the Passion Translation translates in such a way I feel like I had never heard them before. And it makes me think about our stories, Christy, and how God, the temptation is to feel like, oh, God is only providing for Lisa Joe, or God is only providing for the Purifoys. But of course, that is not true. And it says here, this is David writing about God, but I feel like this is God writing about me, God writing about Christy. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. You cherish me. Like to cherish is like a kind of love that's so intimate and so tender. You cherish me, Lisa Joe, constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me. So like what you want for me, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. I mean, what I want for myself is nothing compared to all the things God has in mind for me. His desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I read that, I thought about how all these places I can think of as lack, God is busy working constantly to provide for us because He cherishes us, and He is providing abundance, abundance. And it's it's true and honest that all of us have lack in our lives. Mm-hmm, Everybody does. Mm-hmm. Everybody. No matter that person you look at that always comes to mind that you think they live some <laughs> charmed life, I promise you they have a black hole of lack somewhere in their life too. But... God says his desires toward them too are more than the grains of sand on every beach. Like not just one beach, not just the beach you go to, but like the whole world, (laughs) all of those tiny grains. That's how much he's thinking about us. And so I can see that abundance in how my church has opened a space for me to be in. And Christy can see that abundance and how God has invited her into her own house to come on up. You know, (laughs) I think of that line from... The last battle from the Narnia series, oh, like yes, deeper yes. in and higher up, Christy. Yes. He's like calling you in your own house. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Christy. Come on. You know, <laughs> deeper in, higher up in your own house. Climb those stairs. <laughs> and so yeah. this is our just honest conversation that there are going to be places in your life where God shows up. And if you're not careful, you'll look at somebody else's life and think, oh, he didn't show up that way for me. But man, we invite you to have eyes to see that he is at work. Always he's at work. And it doesn't mean your lack will go away, right? Like, I think, Christy, you'd be the first to say you still feel it. We still feel pinched in many ways too. The difference is it feels like God himself comes and fills up that space. He brings himself in. So he meets us in a physical way, but he also does meet us on that spiritual level where he himself comes and offers his peace and his abundance and his joy and his delight and his way of seeing the world. And then sometimes he provides it like a snow, (laughs) like we've shared this weekend. (laughs) And you look at it and you just think, like God said to Job, like, who are you? Like, have you seen the storehouses of the snow? And so today we get a glimpse of like what has come out of the abundance of his stores for us. And 
I guess it's an exercise. The reason we tell these stories in reminding ourselves of the truth of who God says that he is, not who Satan says that God is, but who God himself says that he is. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.